Welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. My name is Jonathan Hood. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at WrestlingTWT. That's WrestlingTWT for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you've missed previous episodes of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, check the archives on the ESPN Chicago app. You can look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday there on SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you find this podcast. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Subscribe that way you never miss an episode as we cover professional wrestling and sports entertainment from Chicago, Illinois. Well, on this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, we look back at the life and times of the late assassin. Jody Hamilton passed away. His birthday was August 28, 1938, and he passed away on the 3rd of August. So we will look back at the father of longtime referee Nick Patrick. That's Jody Hamilton. For those that remember World Championship Wrestling or even Georgia Championship Wrestling, Nick Patrick was was going to be a wrestler, had a bad knee injury, and was a longtime referee in the business. Well, his dad, Jody Hamilton, paved the way for Nick Patrick to be in the business. So we're going to celebrate the life of Jody Hamilton, one of the best heels in the history of the business, long-running heel, and also one of the best promos in the business. We're going to learn a lot about Jody Hamilton today here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. And you say Jay Hood, I probably don't know the assassin. Google him, you'll see the masked wrestler, and you think about today in professional wrestling. We don't have a ton of masked wrestlers today, except maybe in Mexico and here and there in the States. But for the longest time, Jody Hamilton was one of the most fiercest wrestlers behind the mask as one of the assassins in the history of the business. So Jody was known as assassin number one or masked assassin number one, uh, the mighty Bolo or the flame. And he was good and just one of the best at being a great heel wrestler. So let's go back to his career. So Jody Hamilton, the assassin, teamed up with Tom Renesto in late 1961 to form a masked heel team called the Assassins. And for a decade, it was the Assassin, Jody Hamilton, and Tom Renesto. They wrestled all over the world with great success. Renesto retired, then Hamilton kept the Assassins team alive by partnering with people like Randy Colley, who was a former Moondog, and Hercules Hernandez. That's who I remember the most, Hercules under a mask, before he came to New York to wrestle for Vince McMahon. Um, but what you always remember is that trademark gold and black mask of the assassins. And so the, what I remember about the assassin, and a lot of this is me researching him, remember seeing him in the magazines when I was a kid. Of course, I mean, the assassin was not on mainstream TV as far as being on the uh, the WWF or being in Indianapolis or Chicago when I was growing up. But I did remember him from the magazines. Well, thank goodness for YouTube and also just watching some of the old Georgia Championship wrestling from back in the day and also the NWA and watching the way he worked 
worked and the things that he would say. I mean, one of the best promos from a heel that you'll ever find. So Tom Renesto, just for context, was one of the best bookers in the history of the business as well. You think about top 10 bookers, those that can be able to put a match together, put a card together. Um, Tom Renesto was one of those guys. Dutch Mantel is one of those guys. Uh, the late Pat Patterson was one of those guys. And Renesto, after he was retired, he was also very good at putting matches together. So that's the context of the assassin working with Tom Renesto. Renesto retired and really became uh, a household name as far as putting matches together, had a very bright mind for the business. But focusing on the assassin just for a moment. So as I mentioned, after he worked with Renesto as a tag team, and they were fierce. I wish I could be able to go back in time and watch some of that stuff from All South Wrestling in 1974 or Georgia Championship Wrestling. It's too bad uh, because everything that I hear from wrestling historians, they were a terrific tag team, terrific heel tag team. So looking at um, looking at the career of the Assassin, he had a lot of regional championships in central states, uh, wrestling in Kansas City for Harley Race, wrestled a lot in Mid-South for um, Bill Watts and also Georgia Championship Wrestling for the Crockett's, a lot of NWA championships, a lot of tag team championships as well in Georgia, making tag team champions a couple of times, Georgia tag team champion. As a matter of fact, he was a Georgia heavyweight champion as well. So a lot of regional championships, Hollywood wrestling from... Um, uh, from California, he got became a professional wrestling Hall of Famer in the class of 2013, uh, included as a member of the Assassins Tri-State Championship as he worked for Leroy McGurk in Tri-State Su- Southern uh, Southeastern Championship Wrestling, working for uh, a number of people, including uh, the Fuller family there, Louisiana Chips. So, so you get the point. He had a lot of championships, part of the WCW Hall of Fame class of 1994. So, I mean, a very accomplished wrestler in the territory days. But he passed away on August 3rd after being placed in hospice care. And that came from uh, social media where we read about this on uh, Tuesday morning from his son, Nick Patrick, as I mentioned, longtime referee. So let me give you an example of how good this wrestler was. How good was the assassin? Well, he had a lot of battles with Dusty Rhodes, right? I mean, Dusty Rhodes, I would love to see the attendance figures of Dusty Rhodes and the Assassin in Florida because with the Assassin winning the Florida Television Championship, the United States Tag Team Championships on numerous occasions with Assassin number 2, um, I know that he and Dusty had a lot of battles in Florida uh, for Eddie Graham. So let's kind of delve into that because for a number of years, it was the Assassin and Dusty Rhodes going at it in the state of Florida. Girls with Dusty Rhodes. So if you want to sit here and conduct this interview in a very unbiased manner, that's fine with me. Let me start by saying, you know, Dusty, under other circumstances, you have a lot of qualities that I admire. And under other circumstances, I could probably maybe even get to the point where I could tolerate you or your existence. Because in a lot of ways, you're exactly like I am. You're tough. You don't back up from anybody. That's a quality about you that I admire. You've got a lot of guts. You don't draw the line. You'll wrestle anybody, anytime, anyplace. That's another quality that I have and that you have that I admire about you. 
the thing that I do find extremely distasteful about you is your arrogant manner, the way in which you try to put people down and the way that you two and a half years ago tried to embarrass and try to humiliate me. Now, I know that we have a piece of film that I'd like to show at this time to show the people exactly what I'm talking about because no one, and I repeat, no one, whether it's in my private life and especially in my professional life, is going to get away with embarrassing and humiliating me in the manner in which Dusty Rhodes not tried to do, but did. Now, we can roll that piece of film. I'll show you exactly what we're talking about. Well, that has been uh, going here, but I'm just... Now, I realize... Another thing, you see this? This mannequin right here represents the humiliation that I suffered. You know, this mask is not just a piece of cloth to cover my face and to protect my identity. This mask is a trademark of the assassin, the trademark that means par excellence in professional wrestling. There's never been another human being that's ever wrestled in the profession that's wore a mask as long as I have and as successfully as I have and amassed the reputation that I have. Yet I'm constantly plagued everywhere I go with the name Dusty Rhodes this, Dusty Rhodes that, and so on. And then every time I turn around, I am again aggravated. Again, I'm faced with this tremendous arrogance on the part of one Dusty Rhodes. I want you to know that for two and a half years, it ate away at my insides. The thing that kept me going for two and a half years was guts. That's right, guts. Because you have to have guts to hate somebody as much as I hate you, Rhodes. The final chapter is going to be written, and it's going to be written soon. However, I reserve the right and the privilege to prolong your agony and your demise as long as I choose to. The master of deception is here. The master of evil is here if you want to express it in that manner. And I know that you have, and I know that you thought about how much evil is in my system. It all started, it all started with this, the mask of El Santo. Yes, that's right, the mask of El Santo. But Rhodes, it's gonna end with the mask of the assassin. And you can bet on one thing, take it to the bank. This mask and this man right here, somehow, some way, sometime, I'm going to take you out all the way. Well, the deception that he was talking about, uh, he says he's a master of deception. He is indeed a master of deception. He deceived me, he deceived Jerry, he deceived Dusty Rhodes just a week ago when being El Santo and to present Dusty Rhodes uh, with some accolades from the mayor of a small uh, fishing village in Mexico. And I'll tell you what, let's relive those uh, seconds over again. Okay, so that is a promo done by the assassin. Now, for those that have not seen this on YouTube, let me paint the picture. It's Gordon Soley that's hosting uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida, CWF as they called it back then in the early 80s. And Soley's at a desk, and the assassin's at a desk, and he's just laying out this whole thing with Dusty Rose's program that they're going to have. So let me give you context of what this is about. So the assassin was in Florida wrestling for Eddie Graham. 
And he was there for a couple of years battling with Dusty Rhodes. He goes away for two and a half years. And then he comes back with this mask, El Santo. He has a, he's a masked wrestler, but he comes back as El Santo. Now, Dusty Rhodes does, apparently does not recognize it's the assassin under a hood that, that's El Santo. Now, this, <laughs> it's funny, interesting how wrestling works, right? You know that John Cena makes a ton of make-a-wishes, right? For kids and for families, for generations, right? He's done it for a long time. Well, Dusty Rhodes in Florida was also doing make-a-wishes and uh, being with families. And I don't think they call it make-a-wish back in 1981, but he would do a lot of things because he was a baby face. He'd go to the communities and he was the number one baby face. So he'd do a lot of things for a lot of kids and charities and all that. That's just the way it was when you wrestled in Tampa for Eddie Graham. If you're a baby face, you're in the community like John Cena and others that do for the WWE in the modern day. So here's Dusty Rhodes thinking he's going to get another award for his uh, philanthropic ways in Tampa. And there's Gordon Soley, and again, Soley just, he locks everything in, man. I mean, this this does not get over without Gordon Soley just setting it up, making it look legit, making it sound legit. And then, of course, El Santo in a mask right next to Dusty Rose. Rose doesn't know it. And then the turn by the assassin as he pretends he's El Santo. And here's the story. From Rafael de Molina, who is the mayor of the small village just outside of Tampico Bay, uh, describing the fact that uh, uh, championship wrestling is watched very closely uh, throughout the portions of Mexico. And uh, they were very, very impressed with the uh, tremendous amount of good works that Dusty Rhodes has done uh, for the children and all over the years. El Santo, who is one of the great all-time super heavyweights in Mexico, uh, is here today to make some presentations to Dusty. And uh, uh, first of all, I understand that the uh, the baseball team uh, in uh, the village uh, wanted to present Dusty with an autographed baseball. And I believe El Santo has that with him now. And uh, uh, El Santo speaks no English, forgive me. I'll, I'll have to. Uh, the baseball, baseball. Forgive me, I have Thank you. All right. Uh, this is a baseball from the uh, from the baseball team. Now, the letter goes on to say uh, that they have followed with a great deal of interest because El Santo in Mexico does much the same as Dusty does in the United States in working uh, with children of all ages and more particularly with crippled children. And as you know, uh, over the years, uh, we have seen Dusty so many, many times uh, contributing his time and his efforts uh, to helping all of the crippled children. And uh, certainly, uh, I think it's, it's outstanding uh, that uh, the, the situation here today when a great super heavyweight from Mexico and perhaps the greatest uh, uh, super heavyweight ever living in the United States in professional wrestling, Dusty Rhodes, uh, meet to get together today and be so honored uh, by uh, Mayor uh, Molinas. And then there is a also, I understand, a plaque, and I have the inscription here. Uh, if we could have the plaque. The, the plaque? The, 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 the plaque. All right, now the plaque reads... Uh, to Dusty Rhodes uh, as to become an honorary citizen of the city of Tampico Bay from Mayor Rafael Molina for his outstanding work uh, to the...
El Santos hammering Wharton, Dusty Rhodes. He turned on Dusty. All these wrestlers are coming to his aid. And the crowd is shocked in Tampa. So, you have to see this on uh, YouTube. It's it's amazing just how the assassin puts on a different mask and he attacks Dusty Rhodes from behind with that plaque and then off you go, right? So now you've got a number one heel taking on the number one baby face in Dusty Rhodes. And so that sets up a match in... 1981, later on, uh, in the spring of 81, where it's the assassin against Dusty Rhodes. Again, Dusty is so over, the number one babyface, and he also is the National Wrestling Alliance heavyweight champion at this time. And so after defeating Harley Race, Rhodes is the champion. He has the championship in Florida, wrestling for Eddie Graham. And so this is the number one program the assassin the mass assassin after being away for two and a half years you heard him say he slimmed down because uh, he was a, a big guy for a long time still a big guy here at 252 but you heard him tell the story of why he did what he did and so now here's the contract signing so let's go now to gordon Soley as the assassin and dusty Rhodes are going to have a match but dusty tricks the assassin as far as what's in the contract, there's some fine print there. Wrestling Alliance headquarters for a meeting. 
This is in an effort to clear the air on the controversial charges and claims made by the assassin and his lawyers uh, in that the assassin should be declared the world champion. The board ruled in favor of the world champion Dusty Rhodes' request for a world title match to settle the situation uh, between the assassin and himself and the world title. And that situation will be settled indeed uh, at the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg on the 29th as ordered by the National Wrestling Alliance. After the meeting, the board appointed Coach John Heath to represent the NWA at the signing uh, of this particular contract. And uh, we're going to go now to the signing of that contract uh, the assassin Dusty Rhodes and coach John Heath. Let's watch. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at the executive offices of the National Wrestling Alliance today for the signing of the world title match to take place at the St. Petersburg Bayfront Center on August 29th. That's Saturday night, August the 29th. The most controversial issue ever to come up in front of the National Wrestling Alliance Board has been between the matches, caused by the matches, between the Assassin Number 1 and the World Heavyweight Champion, Dusty Rhodes. Assassin Number 1 has claimed that he has defeated Dusty Rhodes in the middle of the ring twice and is now claiming for the World Heavyweight title. Dusty Rhodes has finally agreed to meet the Assassin after requesting the National Wrestling Alliance for this match. I have the contracts with me, and we will have the signing today. And I will give the contract first to the challenger. More than happy to sign this, Coach John. in an arena in St. Petersburg. Now, Mr. Rhodes, where it says World Champion. Very official. It's in a meeting room, I think, in the back of the arena. Well, just a minute, Coach. Let me tell you something, you know. I sit over here and listen to this man, listen to you talk about the National Wrestling Alliance. Assassin number one has went around this country, which I am World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion of, and he has said on numerous occasions that he has pinned me for the seventh count. He has pinned me on another count, wearing a belt around claiming World Heavyweight title. On the 29th in the Bayfront Center, you're going to get your chance to be World Heavyweight Champion, your last chance, my man. You understand what I'm saying? The only reason that I signed this thing because it is in good faith, you know what I mean? And I got a little something special for you. You don't know what you signed. You did sign a World Heavyweight title match. That's true. But the National Wrestling Alliance, you should always read what you sign, Assassin. And this thing is under Texas Deathmatch Rules. First time ever in the Bayfront Center World Heavyweight Title Match, Texas Death Match Rules, and this time I tricked you, my man. I tricked you. I don't want to hear about it. Let me see that. Let me see that. Let me see the contract. I want to see the contract. Now listen, I came down here and I signed this contract in good faith, Coach John. I signed this contract for a World Title Match. Said nothing about a Texas Death Match Rules. That's it. I, yeah. This time, the trick's on you, Assassin. Yeah. Yeah, well, I might have expected something yeah. like this from you. Give me the contract. Oh. Oh. Now 
no contract. Turn that camera off, I said. So after after the assassin finds out that uh, it's a Texas death match, he took a briefcase. There were several briefcases, Halliburton's, that were in front of Rhodes and the assassin. And the assassin took the briefcase and uh, knocked Dusty Rhodes over the head and Rhodes went to the floor. And then the assassin went after the cameraman to tell him to turn the camera off. Uh, so, and he also tore the contract up. He says, I didn't sign a Texas death match. And so he tears up the contract and it doesn't matter. The match still took place. Um, so they went around the loop around Florida with this rivalry. It's very interesting footage back then as um, it, it's kind of what you see today. Like every contract signing, there's always some fall to roll, some nonsense that happens. Well, same thing here in 1981 with Dusty Rhodes and the Assassin. So here's a match here from 1981. It is Gordon Soley and Coach John uh, on the call at ringside as we pick up the action here in the middle. It is the Assassin against Dusty Rhodes, both of them bleeding. The Assassin bleeding uh, on the top of his mask. You can see the blood coming through the mask, and then there's Dusty Rhodes. Of course, he always bled in his matches. So let's take a look and uh, see what happens here with the Assassin and Dusty Rhodes. Just come within him. Actually, 
when he says he's not just fighting Dusty Rhodes in there, he's fighting this moment. He is literally fighting thousands of people at one time. And the assassin is down. The assassin down and Rhodes down. Crashes down and Diana Gilbo across the chest of the assassin. The assassin instinctively going over toward his stomach. That indicates obviously is some great uh, amateur training because uh, as you know, you can't get pinned if you're on your stomach, and that's exactly what he did through instinct. And now, it's hard to tell. Both men may be lacerated, or perhaps it's only Rhodes. But uh, certainly, this is turning into a, uh, a different dimension for a World Heavyweight Championship match. And Dusty Rhodes, weary, beleaguered, now again pushes the referee to one side, and he's caught coming in.
was an automatic disqualification as the assassin went over that top rope. Dusty Rhodes isn't satisfied with that, I am sure. Dusty Rhodes is not satisfied with that kind of a victory. I feel that I can speak for him in this respect. Now that's very interesting because usually that is not a baby face with the championship and he throws the guy over the top rope. Usually it's the other way around. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what exactly happened in this matchup. I, you know, nothing like Gordon Soley calling the action, just like it's a radio call, right? I hope that you were able to decipher that That's um, and be able to hear that clearly because that's from 1981 and Dusty Rhodes is the champion and he's... Uh, you know, I don't think that Gordon caught it at first, but the reason why that the assassin had Rhodes out for a seven, eight, nine count is because he used a foreign object. He used brass knuckles uh, and punched Rhodes out. The referee would, was out, uh, and, and here comes Dick Kroll. The second referee comes in, and Rhodes just pounding the shit out of the assassin right in the face with those uh, brass knucks over and over again, and then throws the assassin over the top rope and the automatic disqualification uh, back then, the -the over-the-top rope disqualification, and Rhodes retains the championship. But that's just one of their uh, favorite matches and rivalries from the state of Florida, the assassin against Dusty Rhodes. The assassin wrestling in Florida, he also wrestled, as I mentioned, in Mid-South, and also for uh, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. The Assassin was managed by Paul Jones, which is kind of unusual during that time because, as you heard, like the Assassin can carry it by himself. The reason why that you have a manager is because back then, if you didn't have a good promo, the manager could speak for you. That's why we had great managers back then. But somehow, some way, under the Paul Jones army, there was the Assassin. And the Assassin wanted, wanted to protect his guy, Paul Jones. And he talks about it right here. You know, Jimmy Valiant, you finally mustered up the courage to take your fist, to get in that ring against me. You know, I've got nicknames on my right hand. This is cannibal, and this is animal. And you know what they tell me every day? They tell me that they're hungry, and I tell them, be patient, because I'm going to feed you. And what I'm going to feed you is a banquet, a banquet of Jimmy Valiant's face, his eyes, his nose, his lips. These hands are going to be twice their size when that tape this match is over, Valiant, because they're going to gorge themselves, gorge themselves on your face and on your flesh. I've never in my life ever hated a man like I hate you, Valiant. And you better believe one thing. When I get you down, Valiant, you ain't never, and I said never, going to get up again. Paul, I'll tell you something, Bob. Valiant doesn't realize how valuable his body is. The things he have done, the things that people have okayed and pat him on the back, like put me on a crutch, a cane. Wherever I go, wherever I walk, I need a cane. Valiant, let me tell you something. You're number one on the registry. And I have a piece of film just to show you what Valiant has to be stopped and what he gets away with. Look at this. Here's Jimmy Valiant, and he's ripping and pulling the mask off. Assassin number two. All right, there you go. Just before that, he used a chair. He had three or four guys to come in the ring to help him and everything else.
close, and he gets away with it. Look at this, and the people are cheering him. Let me tell you something. Jimmy Valiant is the only man that has ever been able to disgrace the team of the assassins by removing a mask. That was your day in the sun, Valiant, and you've had ample time to wallow in that ecstasy and that glory. Now it's time to meet the number one assassin because your work has really cut out for you now. If you've got a gut in your body, Valiant, meet me in my kind of match. I know you're supposed to be tough in your New York street fights and all that. You've never lost a New York street fight. Well, I've never lost a take fist match. This isn't a wrestling match. This is a match designed to see just how much punishment one man can inflict on another. And with the wrath that I've got down deep inside my guts, I can inflict an awful lot of punishment on you, Valiant. If you are any kind of a man at all, tape those fists up. Let you and I get in the ring and settle it. Man to man, once and for all, Valiant, you gutless wonder. So just like the battles he had with Dusty Rose, he had with Jimmy Valiant in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. So I mentioned to you that the Assassins... It was just not just Joey Hamilton, Jody Hamilton, but also he was part of several tag teams. I mentioned Tom Ernesto uh, was his original tag team partner. And so in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, they were able to uh, bring together the Assassins again. But this time, it was just the Assassin number one and Assassin number two. Number two was Hercules Hernandez. And so... Hercules Hernandez, if you remember, was put together, and he was, this is a young wrestler at the time, but there was a lot of promise with him. And so uh, you can hear not necessarily Hercules speak because he probably wasn't a great promo back then, but I pretty much think that the assassin number one can handle an interview talking about the importance of the assassins as a tag team in mid Atlantic wrestling. The assassins one and two. No. I beg your pardon, sir. I've told you on several appearances on this very same program, there is no Assassin 1, there is no Assassin 2. There is no individualism whatsoever on our team. If you wish, or you or anyone else wish to address us individually, I answer to Mr. and he answers to Sir. Now, many, many times throughout our travels around the world, we have been asked by television commentators such as yourself, most of them not as knowledgeable as you, of course, but television commentators nonetheless and wrestling fans throughout the entire world. They say, to what? Is there any single ingredient that you owe to your success or that you feel contributes mainly to your success? I feel it's a combination of things, and the way I answer that question is we have something that very few people have, and that's total and dedicated loyalty to one another. At any time, I would be more than willing to lay my life on the line, my body on the line, to protect this man, and he feels exactly the same way about me. There's one other thing that we have that most teams lack, and that is the killer instinct. And when I say the killer instinct, I'm talking about the instinct to know when your opponent is hurt, when your opponent is at a disadvantage, you don't let him get away. You press the advantage, you press the attack, you take the offense to him, and you take advantage of the fact that this man is hurt, this man is injured. Because wrestling, professional wrestling, is a very rough, tough game. Now, I don't 
try to undermine anyone. I don't try to stop anyone from making a living or deprive them of the right of making a living. My partner feels exactly the same way. However, each and every team that enters the ring against the team of the assassins must always be on the lookout for injuries because if we injure them, that's their fault. That's the consequences. That's the things that you have to put up with in professional wrestling. Injuries are a part of professional wrestling. And certainly, wrestling with pain is something that we know about because we have administered a lot of pain to a lot of opponents. And there will be a lot more in the future. Rest assured of that. All right, fans. And that's just... Hmm. Loyalty, huh? You did hear the assassin talk about loyalty. Well, as I mentioned, there is only one number one assassin. And that's Jody Hamilton. But um, there was a number two, as I mentioned, in Hercules Hernandez, who after this time in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling decides he goes to the WWF at the time. But February 85, <laughs> the assassin says, nope, there's only one assassin. And he attacks his tag team partner and leaves him for dead in the locker room. Listen. A most interesting and perhaps bizarre uh, bit of videotape that we'd like to show you at this time concerning the assassin. And I think uh, you'll get a better idea of the deadly intensity of this man. Well, let's go to this videotape. You know, a lot of people go through life and they don't know really who they are or what they are. Well, I'm one of the more fortunate people because I know who I am and I know what I am. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I am. I'm a hard-nosed mercenary, and I'm in, and I practice my profession for profit. Now, since I myself personally am paying for this television time, Gordon Soley, you know me and have known me for a while. I know you, and I know your reputation. You're at least an honest and a fair man. Whether you like me or whether you dislike me really doesn't make any difference because since I'm paying for this time, you, sir, are obliged to air my words. Now, several weeks ago, I disappeared. And I know that the Freebirds thought that they had gotten rid of me permanently. Well, my absence, I don't need to explain to anybody because that was my own personal business. However, before my departure, this man who I took under my wing and made my partner, I gave him instant fame by allowing him to wear this black and yellow mask. He told me that in my absence that he would take care of the business at hand, being the Freebirds. And then when I came back, I realized and I understand to a certain degree why you failed. But you did assure me before I left that you had the ability, you had the intestinal fortitude, that you had everything that it took to carry on the tremendous and the great tradition that I worked so long and so hard to build and to make the name of the assassin or the assassins the most feared name in professional wrestling. But after going over your record since I've been gone, it's really a disgraceful record. And I, it really goes against my nature to publicly belittle and berate anyone, especially anyone that I have been as closely associated 
with as I have been with you. But I will say this, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell the television viewing audience and make it publicly known at this point, our relationship and our association and our team is now dissolved. There is no more the team of the assassins. The only thing that exists now is yours truly, the assassin number one. Turn the mask off of him. No more assassin number two. And this makes it official. The assassin Jody Hamilton uh, did an interview with Keith Hart, the brother Bret Hart. Keith is if Keith is great, just ask him, right? Um, he's the Hart brother that felt like he was you know, set aside. He, of course, he was part of the Hart family, wrestled in Stampede Wrestling in Calgary, but I think Keith always feels like he got the short shrift, and, you know, that's just his career. But he has or had a talk show as he talks to Jody Hamilton. This goes back to March of 2017. There's a number of things that are covered here with Keith Hart and Jody Hamilton talking about the good old days of wrestling and comparing it to today. There's some shots on Vince McMahon as well. Listen closely to the thoughts of the assassin Jody Hamilton and Keith Hart talking over one another, uh, but still you can kind of get the gist of their conversation here on this podcast here uh, hosted by Keith Hart. I remember a few of the mask joints we had up here, and uh, I remember some of them would, like, not have their masks on and all, and uh, I remember some of the veterans always used to refer to the assassins and say, uh, there's a team town in uh, Carolina or whatever, and uh, nobody's ever seen them without their masks on, you know, and they always, you know, and... uh, they're the best team in the business and all like that. And they, you know, they protect their gimmick and they, all this other. And uh, it always used to drive me nuts. You know, if a guy's trying to get his gimmick over, he's why would he uh, kill it all by walking into some truck stop or some bar without the mask on? Or you know, like what's the point? You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. Th- these days, if. <laughs> It's funny, I've done a number of WWE shows, and I'm sure you've been around that uh, spectrum as well, but uh, you see all the guys going, you know, in in the bar afterwards, and they're all hanging out together, heels and faces, and uh, and I remember I said to a few of them when I was on some of those, like, uh, talk about kayfabe or protecting, and, and they give me this, you know, what I thought was a horseshit rationale, well... They all know it's at work, and I shake my head like I couldn't wrap my head up. Yeah, but who tells them it's at work? They do. Yeah, and I said, the marks don't want to know. They use that that old worn-out excuse, kayfabe is dead. Well, who in the hell killed it? They killed it by not having enough goddamn ability to go out there and do the job that they are paid to do and do it properly, And, and that's make a work look like a shoot. Bruce, guess what I got here in my hand? <laughs> What's that? This is a this is a newspaper clipping and I know you remember this man well. 
is from St. Joseph, Missouri News Press Gazette from Thursday, March the 8th, 1994. There's a picture of this wrestler in there, and it also, the headline says, Pro Wrestling Legend Passes Away. And it's a picture and a story about Ronnie Etchison. Oh, yeah. And I know you remember Ronnie. He was a, yeah, he was a, and, uh, he was a big card up there for uh, up in the Vancouver area, and also in yeah, uh, Calgary. Yeah, one of my dad's and, uh, uh, favorites. Uh, he always had the cigar and uh, yeah, <laughs> great guy. He did a, he did a lot of business up here for my dad, and uh, he he was one of the guys who always uh, you know even then uh, speaking of you you know back in. Uh, he must have crossed paths with you already by that time, and uh, well, we he was one of those workers. And I grew up. I mean, I, I first met Ronnie when I was about twelve years old, and uh, he and my uh, he and my brother were very good friends too. And uh, of course, my brother was like uh, almost seven years older than me, and uh, he had started in the business a lot sooner than I did. But uh, I've been going around the business, like I said, since I was about twelve years old. And uh, Ronnie was uh, one of the first guys that I met. And Ronnie was always very nice to me. And Ronnie helped me a lot when I was getting started. After I left New York in 1958, Ronnie got me booked in uh, San Francisco for... Uh, Is that Malkowitz? Malkowitz Brothers. Joe and Frank or whatever. That's where I first met Nick Bockwinkle. He was in Jeez. the Army at the time. was stationed at Fort Ord. Was old Warren up there then, too? And, no, he had uh, he had uh, retired. Tom Rice was up there, and oh, I forget who was all there now, but there was a bunch of guys there. Ronnie Ronnie was living. Uh, it was about forty fifty miles north of uh, San Francisco, and I would go up there and, and uh, on weekends with him, and he would invite me up there, and, and we'd stay. I'd stay the weekend with him, and. And uh, his wife was an extremely nice woman, and I, I, I really liked her. Her name was Almeida. And uh, oh, yeah. like I say, he he did a lot to help me uh, in the business and everything. And later on, towards the end of his career, he was kind of having some tough times and stuff. And uh, Tom and I got him. Uh, he was he was having because of his age and, and so on. He was having some problems getting booked. And everything. So Tom and I got him into the Carolinas, and then uh, uh, we got him in later on. From that, uh, we got him into Florida. You don't see that that much of that these days. You know, it's uh, something that seems to be missing, and probably would be uh, good for the business if, if there was more of these, you know, veterans around, kind of just giving advice and uh, sometimes giving the guys yeah. a kick in the ass. Well, unfortunately, the business is. Unfortunately, the business has changed to the point now to where uh, it's it's practically impossible for the guys to do stuff like that. You know, first of all, there are no more territories. You know, the the only uh, the only major promotion left is uh, WWE, if you can call that a promotion. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not singing sour grapes because no. I uh, I have and a lot of respect for like Vince McMahon Jr. because. Of, <laughs> uh, because of, of what he's been able to do, I mean, he he took his father's business, which was uh, a good business, 
but he turned it into a multi-billion dollar industry. Now, I don't believe, uh, and I don't, I don't care for uh, his philosophy towards the business. I don't care for the way that he uh, treats the business, and I uh, and I have expressed my opinion on that several times. And yeah, of course, that's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's why uh, he, he should. Nobody in my family, quite honestly, he should, be, uh, <laughs> he should be hearing that perspective, you know. Uh, he has enough smoke blowing up his sphincter and all the other that, uh, you know, if I was he, I'd be... Uh, well, but that's his ego. Want, so wanting, he, uh, some he, he doesn't want somebody there that, uh, that can think for themselves or someone that has independent thoughts or ideas and so on. All he wants is people that are an extension of his ideas that want to bow down and... and ex and like he is the exalted ruler of uh, of wrestling, and oh yeah, and both smoke. And you know, I don't. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, when I was running the uh, training center for him there in, in uh, a little town called McDonough, and we had some great talent. But I flew up there to New York and sit down with Vince and had the meeting with him and all that. And Vince told me straight to my face, he says, "I want you to have a different type school." than these other guys have had and I want you to teach these guys the psychology of the business and I said a done deal and that's what I set out to do but also I set out to do because they were sending me guys that were nothing but a, a lot of them were nothing but uh, steroid freaks oh, on, yeah, big uh, you know, on, uh, on the weights and stuff and yeah big old muscle heads and you get them they in there goes and to uh, to actually have a match and everything, and they were sucking wind in in three four minutes. And so I had them all on cardiovascular uh, routines. And most well, of idiots from I, I remember Vince sent a bunch of them up to Calgary too, like Kaz Meyer and Ted Arcidi and all those guys, and uh, they were like aerobically challenged, but their their egos were the biggest thing, you know. They they. Uh, couldn't oh, yeah. uh, bring themselves to sell and they were muscle bound and stiff and uh, they yeah. kind of had horseshit attitudes and everything and uh, very few of them yeah. amounted to yeah. anything you know and uh, I remember my dad used to those are the guys that uh, he seemed to uh, you know like to stretch the most get those uh, oh yes absolutely all bodybuilders and freaks. most of them both of them had little or no wrestling ability. They weren't, like, tough or anything. But my dad's almost got some yeah. vicarious orgasm, you know, putting him in some kind of sugar <laughs> hold and uh, hearing them squeak. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you mentioned psychology, and that that's like a, an operative word. And that's uh, one of the things that so few of the guys coming in today... Uh, they don't have a damn clue about any of that, you know. Uh, and I remember it was well, one the, of the first the things hell, he... Who the hell's left to teach them? You know, I mean, uh, the, the, the guys that are running these schools that uh, that the guys are going to are all are controlled by WWE. The Heartbeat Podcast with Keith Hart and the Assassin talking about the old times. Well, after retirement for the Assassin... He went to the WCW power plant. If you remember, the power plant was the spot where 
wrestlers would learn how to wrestle. Hamilton was the director of the school uh, in Atlanta, and it produced such talent as Kevin Nash, Bill Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, The Big Show over the years. Uh, He also was an on-screen character as a manager in 1993, Mainly managing Paul Orndorff. Um, also, he managed Paul Roma as well uh, and was the manager of that combination when they were a tag team. Pretty wonderful. Pal Roma and uh, Paul Orndorff. Uh, so, a pretty good tag team back then in the early 90s. And he went on to have a deep south wrestling school and you know there's always florida championship wrestling for the wwe nxt of course but also there was deep south there was another level of training for the wwe back in 2005 it was only around for a couple of years and uh, jody hamilton presided over that as well and of course jody was great this the father of nick patrick the longtime referee, and the one thing I'll always remember about the assassin, Jody Hamilton, is that he was a great promo. He made you believe that if he was going to come to your town, that there is going to be blood, there is going to be force, there is going to be something that you've never seen before. And so, and that is really the magic of wrestling, to be able to talk people into the building, to make me believe that he's real. And one thing for sure is that Jody Hamilton was great with the promos, there's no doubt, and also just as good in the ring, as we've documented here on our uh, review of the life and times of the assassin. Rest in peace, Jody Hamilton. Job well done. Born August 28, 1938, passed away on the 3rd of August and uh, of 2021 at age 82. What a life and what a career for the assassin, Jody Hamilton. You know, we came here and the whole thing was unexpected, Gordon Soli, as you know. The main reason I ever came here was to record and give you a Christmas present. And then the Saint and the Russians decided to stick their nose in somewhere where they should have never thought to do. Because I told them from the beginning, whatever it took, the Freebirds would come down here and they would run them Russians out of here. And if we ain't done it, then grits ain't groceries, you understand? Because they are gone. Then, the Saint, my, my brother Bam Bam promised you the mask and he took off the mask. Now, everybody knows by now it was the assassin, the number one masked man in professional wrestling that attacked me. But let me tell you something, brother. It ain't the first time, and it won't be the last time. I don't know why, Gordon Soley. I ain't paid to answer questions. Like Leonard Skinner said, ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies. And this ain't no lie at all. When you come up against me face to face, it's going to be a different story because I'm afraid a man that has to hide his face ain't never tried to walk down no bad street. And you're going to have to come walk down the street to meet me, brother. And I'm one of the baddest walking around. Tell you what, Michael, let's, let's do this if we may because this is a pretty distressing situation. But let's go back and take a look at what happened. Uh, this followed the fall that was taken by Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. Another victory for the Freebirds. The Freebirds have run over everybody since they've been here. All right, well, let's go back and take a look at the follow-up to that situation. 
the mask. It's been removed. Terry Gordy living like with his... promise. Okay, see, and there it is, right there. Right there, Gordon Shirley, attacked from behind. That's a real brave man right there. It's a real brave man, baby. Well, there's no questioning or no denying uh, the appearance of the number one assassin. And I just wonder if... Uh, uh, that wasn't at the hands of the saint and the Russians to try and hide some of their embarrassment. Well, you know, if they couldn't get it done, if they want to hire somebody, I mean, that's what the man's name is, Assassin. And I guess the hired assassin is supposed to do a number. But see, you should have packed your lunch, boy, because it's an all-day job. Because I'm still walking, I'm still talking, and I'm still going to rock and roll whether you or any of the hired assassins comes after me, baby, because I got some brothers and we don't back down from nothing. I'll tell you what, Mike, the assassins do have some comments that I think they're listening to at this time, and I think it points up the intensity that's involved here and the fact that the man is a paid assassin. Let's listen to these comments. Yeah, let's listen. me, nadie en este mundo, cuando me hacen esto a mí, tú vas pagar en sangre los free birds. Y ahora que el asesino está aquí, él va a cuidar a todos. No quiero verte ninguno, pues tú vas a pagar en sangre. Yeah, Hayes. You know why the assassin's here, don't you, Hayes? Let me tell you something, Freebird. You're mine. Mine, do you understand? Because I'm gonna get you and I'm gonna get your hair. I'm gonna embarrass and I'm gonna humiliate you and I'm gonna make you as obsolete as that stupid song, The Freebirds, as your stupid movement, The Freebirds. It's over with, it's passe. The assassin does exactly what he says he's going to do. I always have. My reputation, I've left a trail of broken bones clear across this country because anybody, any man that I go after, he's doomed. And that goes for you. That goes for your two partners before I'm through. You'll be as bald as a billiard ball and so will your partners. You'll be as obsolete as that music. Because one thing I do swear, I said, listen to me now, Hayes. I know you can hear me. Listen to me. Listen to me good. I swear. I swear to hear me. You're doomed. You're doomed. You're finished in wrestling forever. 